Welcome everyone to Burning Tree Ministry. We are glad that you are here today. <clears throat> just want to say, um, man, I'm just I'm I'm stirred up over that last segment. My wife, come on, she's got an anointing. I want to say this, the world has yet to see the potential and the release of a, of a women leadership that I feel like is going to rise up in these final days. I feel like there's going to be an incredible anointing because the world has never seen a submitted female authority holding. They've never seen that before. I, I just managed, my wife was preaching, I just sense. With such conviction, I know that this is what God is going to be doing. There's going to be a company of women leaders that is going to rise up all over the earth. It's going to show incredible, incredible leadership and incredible authority while they operate um, under godly authority. And, we, you know, the feminist movement, it really is a perversion. There's, they're longing for something. They're longing for something that they've never seen yet. But I tell you that it's going to be released through the kingdom. There's going to be a fulfillment of the dreams of the feminist movement in a godly way released through the kingdom and the end time plan of God. And I am excited about that. Would you just join me right now? Father, we come before you, Lord God. We lift up all of our sisters here with you. Father, we ask, Lord God, that you would anoint them, Lord God. Father, any place of disappointment or hurt, Lord God, any place where they feel like their dreams were crushed in the past, Lord. Father, any, any place where they feel like they were told no and you can't, anything like that, Father, I pray that you would bring a redemptive work to their hearts, Lord God. Father, that you would reveal your glorious plan for their lives, Lord. And Father, I ask that you would anoint them, Father, even for this women's retreat that's going on, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them, Lord, that you would anoint their hearts, Lord. And Father, we pray for the revelation of the glory of motherhood and of fatherhood in our culture again, Lord God. Father, we pray end abortion in America. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, before we get into the word today, we do have an awesome testimony. If I could invite up Young Sub, where are you, brother? Come on up here, homie. Hey, <laughs> uh, I'm still trying to figure out what to say, but um, I'm going to talk about the homeless ministry that we did this whole past week. Um, if you don't know what we're doing, we went to this place in Anaheim, and there's like miles of like homeless like camps and people living there. And so we spent Monday through Wednesday um, evangelizing and giving them food and stuff. And then Thursday and Friday, uh, we, we held services for them. And um we got to see a lot of really awesome things. Like, um, we met this dude named Roberto, and on Wednesday, <laughs> on, on Wednesday, we got to see this guy, Roberto. Uh, we got to see his leg be healed, and then, like, this guy was literally like, oh, shoot. And then, and, and then like, like, his heart softened like crazy. And, like, on Wednesday, he was, like, getting ministered to so much. And then on Thursday at our service, we... Roberto actually like fully surrendered his life to Jesus and he gave his life to Jesus. And so that was really awesome. 
But uh, I think the thing that I want to talk about today is like, um, you know, the, we, I saw so many awesome things, but for me, it was like a really like heartbreaking week because like that whole like strip, like so, it's like such a dark place. And like, like the whole time I was there, I've just felt like God was saying like, they need to know that I love them, you know? Like they need to know that Jesus loves them and there's no one telling them this right now. And like, that this came to like a climax on Thursday because what happened on Monday is me and Brian met this girl named, <coughs> sorry, <laughs> getting a little nervous. <laughs> but, 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 but uh, yeah, on Monday, me and Brian met this girl named Brianna and um, like she she's a drug addict, but then we got to minister to a little bit and then um, as we shared with her more, um, her heart began to soften a lot and she she like began to cry and then she was like, tell me more about this service that you guys are having on Thursday, you know, and she was so open to everything, so open to Jesus. And then it was like, we saw her like for the first time, like her eyes like, like got life, you know, for the first time she found hope in life, for the first time she saw something worth living for because all, all she knew was drugs, you know, all she knew was being homeless, all she knew was fighting to, to live basically. But then on Thursday, um, what happened is we go to her again to remind her about the service, but then we get to her, and she's, like, she's, like, high out of her mind, you know, she's, like, totally cracked out, and she comes out to meet us, and she's, like, it's, like, I don't know, it's just, like, total darkness, you know, there's no life in her eyes, no life in her at all, and she's just, like, oh, like, not today, like, maybe I'll see you later, but it's obvious that she's not gonna come, right, and that's, like, when it hit me, you know, like, that's when it hit me so, like, much, that, like, this place is so dark, you know, like, all these people, like, all they know is this. Like, all they know is drugs. All they know is the darkness. And there's no light coming in, you know. But what God was speaking to me during this time was, like, like in John 1 or I don't know. John 1. <laughs> I think John 1. But he says, like, oh, John, it is definitely John 1. But <laughs> it's like Jesus is like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the life. Wait. In me, something. There's... <laughs> There's like, basically, there's there's life in there's life in Jesus, and that life is the light of men, you know. And this this light shines into the darkness of the world, and the darkness cannot overcome this light, you know. And what God was speaking to me was like on Monday you saw a glimpse of that, you know. She's living in total darkness, but when you guys began to share about Jesus, Jesus, like, just like I began to give her life, you know. For the first time, she saw the light that she is supposed to know, you know, and then, but the thing that he also spoke to me was like, that's why you guys need to go, you know, because I, I gave you guys life, and now you guys have that light, and now you guys are the light of the world, you know, God could, Jesus could just change everyone immediately, but what Jesus chooses to do is he says, you guys are going to be my light, and I choose to use you guys, and like, that was so powerful to me, because like, you know, we, we all have each other, you know, we have church, we have we have so many Christian friends, we get to remind each other, like, hey, man, Jesus loves you. Like, hey, man, there's hope. Hey, man, you're struggling, but, you know, it's going to be okay. God's with you. These people, like, no one's telling them, you know. We, we told them one time, like, hey, Jesus loves you. And it was like, she's like, Ooh. like, this is life, you know. For the first time, she found life. But there's no one telling her that after that. From Monday to Thursday, all, in between, all she knows is drugs. In between, all she knows is, like, the stuff she's been doing. And so, yeah, I don't know. That's, like, what God spoke to me. Like, like, I, 
like God, Jesus spoke to me like, I'm the one who brings life. I'm the one who brings light. And like, these people need to know that same light. And so, yeah, I just, God spoke to me. They have to know that I love them. That's it. Wait, 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 wait. Um, also, we, we have an announcement about Young Seb. This is going to be his last week here with us at BTM. And it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. He's going to join the staff at TCC Temecula Calvary Church, right? And, um, and, and that's fine. That's wonderful. He's going to be in a position where he's going to be able to disciple um, a lot of youth kids over there. And um, Young Seb has been an incredible blessing to us in our ministry. And we're really, we're really going to miss you, bro. Would you just, um, would you just pray with me for him? <laughs> Father, we thank you so much for Young Seb, Lord God. We ask, Lord God, that your anointing, that your grace would go with him, Lord God. We pray for a revival at TCC, Lord God. Father, we pray that you would do a work in those kids, Lord, that you would give them a supernatural compassion for them, Lord. Father, that you would anoint his heart and his hands, Lord, that he would disciple them well, that you would speak life into their lives, Lord God. And Father, that you would use him to bear much fruit there. We thank you for him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, brother. Amen. I want to commend all of you guys who are involved um, in the homeless ministry outreach this week. That was really awesome to see. Um, I love that kind of stuff. I love that we were working together um, with members um, from another church. That was great. And um, I heard about a lot of great testimonies. So thank you very much. That's really great. Okay. A um, couple of quick announcements. Um, our new Bible studies will be starting this week. We are starting in the book of Acts. We're going to be studying through the book of um, once a month, we will be having um, a Bible study on a revival. And the heart here is we want all of you guys to know about all the revivals that have happened throughout history. So at least once a month, there'll be a revival subject. And the rest of the time, we'll be making our way through the book of Acts, which is really exciting. And I am um, looking forward to that. All right. And with that, also, our new year for the BTM Cup is on. Okay, it has started this past week, so go ahead and start to report your points to your house church leaders. If you're like, what the heck is he talking about? You can talk to your house church leaders and co-leaders about this rather than me taking the time to explain all the rules and everything like that. Um, but I want to encourage you guys. We compete. This is for fun. Okay, it's just, it's a fun game. But what we're doing, the heart of this is we are we are challenging one another, right? We are competing to outdo one another in good works, in, in, a, in a cooperative manner, right? We're not getting jealous over each other or anything like that. But in a cooperative sense, you know, because we like to compete, we're just com we just like to beat each other at stuff, right? So we are utilizing this cultural thing to um, do it in a good way. Amen? All right, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We are finally in the last chapter of Ephesians. We are going to finish this book. Praise him. Now, while you are turning there, I'm going to go ahead and do a quick news segment. I posted this a little bit earlier today to my Facebook wall, um, but I'm going to say it here. In 2015, Coach John Kennedy was fired for praying silently um, on, a, on the football field right after games. This week, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is the most liberal you know, court in the country, upheld the decision of the lower court that his firing was justified. Judge Millen Smith wrote for the court that Kennedy, quote, took advantage 
of his position to press his particular views upon the impressionable and captive minds before him, unquote. Meanwhile, also this week, a kindergarten class at Rockville Academy near Sacramento had a transgender reveal for one of the male students. This is, these are kindergartners who was presented as a girl in class. And then, um, you know, this boy changed into a dress and was presented as a girl to the class of kindergartners. The class also read a book together called I Am Jazz, which is the, the story of a real-life cha- transgender girl named Jazz Jennings. And later in that day, the class also read a book called Red, a crayon story about a crayon who has an identity crisis. No parents were warned or informed that this would be happening, but upset parents reported their children coming home confused and crying. I want to say the hypocrisy here should be obvious, right? The hypocrisy should be obvious. An assistant football coach was fired by the school for using his position as a football coach to, quote, you know, impress upon these impressionable people his religion. And, and this was him silently going and praying on the football field after the games. And that decision was upheld by a court, and it was upheld by this federal appeals court again. I hope it goes to the Supreme Court, and I hope they strike this craziness down. Okay. Meanwhile, you have a kindergarten class where they're celebrating transgenderism. Now, this is a controversial subject. There's no way I can touch on this in a couple minutes, but I'm going to try. Here's what you need to know. Transgenderism, it, it is not the popular narrative that's out there. It's just, you know, we, we can't be the judge of anybody's gender. Children should be free to essentially choose what gender they identify most with. Let, look, if you're spiritual, you have to understand this. There's a 40% suicide rate in the transgender community. The only group in history that has had a suicide rate as high as that are Jews in concentration camps under Nazi occupation. This is a demonic thing. That, 40, that 40% suicide rate holds true before and after sex conversion um, surgery. This is that You can't fix this. Why? Because it's a demonic stronghold. I don't say that lightly. I know that's politically incorrect to say, but I say it because it's the absolute truth. And I've shared this with some of you. I have a friend who grew up believing that she was a boy. She was suicidal. She tried to commit suicide three times in her life. She had a radical encounter with Jesus where she was transformed and saved. She went through a deliverance. She now lives today. She has a healthy attraction for man. She has been completely transformed by Jesus. So I don't say this as somebody who's just speaking out of should-haves and could-haves and what the Bible says. No, I say this out of experience. I say this because I understand some of these issues. And right now we have people who are indoctrinating our children on an issue that really matters, that really does cause major confusion within children. And I look, I just say this, church, we must stand up in this time and speak out on controversial issues if we have a godly conviction. If you don't have a godly conviction, by all means, do not stand up and talk about this because you will get persecuted. But I'm just saying, if we have a godly conviction on it, I want to call you to speak up on these issues and challenge the dominant narrative that is out there. Look, 
People tell me all the time that I am the only one that speaks out on these issues in their lives. That my Facebook page is the only one they ever hear the side of the argument on. Can I just, why is that when there are 120 people in this room? Is it because none of you have convictions on, this, on, the, on these issues? And I, I say this lovingly, I know it's not easy, okay? I know it's not easy. I've wrestled with a lot of these things. I've had a lot of many Facebook debates, and I am absolutely not telling you to be a jerk on your social media, okay? I'm not asking you to unneedly provoke people. What I'm asking you is to stand up for righteousness. What do we stand for righteousness in this age? What does it mean? What does it mean to be a people of God? What does it mean to be salt and light in the earth? If we're too afraid to stand for issues of righteousness in our culture, where are the Christians who are speaking up for what they're convicted of? And I'm, again, I'm not saying that you should say it angrily or offended. No, don't be offended. Don't speak out of offense but speak out of a desire to honor God's word and to call the world to righteousness. This is, this is literally what the Bible says the Spirit does. He convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness. I want to lovingly challenge us. We're done with the days where we can stay out of political issues as a church. We're done with those days because political issues have now invaded the territory that is clearly in the Bible. These are not these are not biblically ambiguous issues that we're talking about. We're talking about biblical issues that in many ways the church has been silenced in. And I want to I call us to be people who are bold and who speak on these issues as God gives us grace to do. Amen? All right. Did you find Ephesians chapter 6? We're continuing from chapter 5 where we talked about wives and husbands, right? And this idea of how it correlates. There's this correlation between wives and husbands and Jesus and his bride, the church. And this whole section is about submission. And Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. We're going to break this passage down. I want us to understand something. When the Bible is talking about submission, it is not talking just about obedience. It's not talking just about doing what you're told to do by an authority in your life and hating it, but it's like, I got to do it anyway. That is really not the heart of this. Really what Scripture is talking about is the spirit of submission, the spirit of submission, having a submissive spirit. 
And Paul lays that out a little bit. Talks about in this context of slaves obeying your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy to ask someone to obey an earthly authority just like they would obey Christ. That's pretty intense. And yet that's what the scriptures clearly command us to do. And I want us to understand why. Why? Submission is one of the most important principles in the scripture. It's all throughout the scripture. Everything in the Bible has a component of submission. We don't submit to others because they deserve it, because they're good enough leaders. We submit to them, Scripture says, out of a submission to God. All of our submission comes back and flows out of an ultimate submission to God. And that's why it's so important, because God is the one who honors and delegates earthly authorities. Now, misunderstanding this dynamic is where a lot of people get messed up in life. And I want to tell you that this is a real this is a real dynamic. This affects everyone on the earth, this issue of submission. Look what Paul starts with. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. What's he saying? He's saying that if you obey this commandment, there will be a blessing that comes And if you do not obey this commandment, well, the opposite of a blessing is a curse. This is absolutely true. This is whether you believe in this or not. If you don't believe in the Bible, you still get cursed. And if you don't believe in the Bible and you still honor this command, this principle, you still get blessed. If you're a Christian... And you don't obey your parents, you still get cursed. And if you're not a Christian and you obey your parents, you still receive a blessing in that area of your life. This is an important dynamic to understand. But again, I hearken back to the fact that it's really not talking about just doing what you're told. It's talking about the spirit of it. This is really important, the spirit of submission. What am I talking about? I'm talking about being submitted in such a way that is not begrudging. It's not resentful. It's not constantly focusing and and finding faults in those that you're submitted to. It's the opposite spirit. It's one of gratitude, this incredible gratitude that I have this authority in my life. How many of you guys have been so grateful for the authorities in your life? Like your boss at work. Yeah, Benji, come on, man. Like your house church leaders. Like your parents, obviously. We're to have an incredible gratitude in our hearts for the authorities in our life. Now, now do I ask you, is that because... They're perfect. Well, clearly we, we know that's not true. Is that because 
They're so much better than all the other leaders out there and other authorities. That's why I'm grateful. No, that's not true either. The reason is this. If there is an authority in your life, it's almost always because there has to be an authority there. Right? You're not under the authority of the PlayStation master, right, who's out there when you're playing games and he says, don't do that. You have to play like this. There's no authority there, right? There doesn't need to be an authority over your video gaming. Am I making sense? But in the areas where you do have authority, it's because you have to have an authority there. If there's no authority there, what happens at your workplace? Nobody does nothing. Nobody gets paid, right? Without authorities in our lives, the institutions that were our essential component of all of our lives cannot function. The families that we are part of cannot function apart from authority. The churches, none of these things can function apart from authority. What am I saying? I'm saying these authorities are essential. We must have them. And the problem for young people is that we resent all these authorities because we never get to be the authority, right? We're always the one who are, ones who are being bossed around by other people, right? It's always the teachers telling us what to do, the pastors telling us to do this, the parents saying this, all these other authorities in our lives who are constantly bossing us around. And guess what? Sometimes you get sick of it. Sometimes you're like, I don't want to do this anymore, and you long, you pine for the days when you get to be the authority, right? When you get to be the boss and you get to tell other people what to do. And many people, the dreams of many people's lives are about the authority that they'll one day have. But can I tell you that biblically speaking, the only way that you can be entrusted with real authority is to be the best follower ever. That's how it works. Meaning, if you're like, I hate all these authorities in my life, but I can't wait until God gives me authority, it's going to be a while. <laughs> now, you can take for yourself authority that God doesn't give you. That happens all the time. That happens all the time. People think every opportunity for a promotion, it must be Jesus, right? God is making a way for me. Well, it could be the devil making a way for you too. That's the reality. It happens. In fact, one of the classic tactics that the enemy uses is to open up opportunities for promotion for you before you're ready for it. And guess what it is? It's a test. It's a test. I want to encourage you, not every opportunity for promotion is from the Lord. It doesn't mean every single one is not from the Lord. But we have to use discernment. We have to understand this. Why? I want to I put it to you in this kind of a way. When you get to a place where you love being submitted in your life, you might then be ready for more authority. When you get to the place where you're so satisfied and you're so grateful for the authorities that you have in your life and you love being right where you are, well, sometimes that's when the promotion comes. Why? Because it takes the process of working through your issues with authority before you can rightly steward authority. This is, a, this is a biblical dynamic that is so important, this idea that 
the way that we relate to authorities is to be with trust and gratitude. Now, this is difficult. Why? Because no authority is perfect. They all are flawed. This is really important that we understand this. Even the most amazing leader you've ever met in your life, can I tell you a secret? That person's got some issues you don't know about yet. This is important to understand. Because what happens a lot of times is we get really impressed by certain strengths in our leaders' lives. We see that one strength. Oh, my gosh. Pastor Dennis is so good at munchkin. I just want to trust him with everything. Not realizing that one day Pastor Dennis is going to break your trust. Because I got some issues, even though I'm great at munchkin. Right? Obviously, this is a, a funny example. But the truth is that I've seen this over and over again. I've seen people put their faith in leaders because of certain strengths that they have, not realizing that those very same leaders have incredible weaknesses. And when you give a leader too much trust, let me put it to you this way. Are you supposed to trust your leader like you trust Jesus? That's dangerous. You probably don't want to do that. I'm not saying that you shouldn't trust them at all. You should trust them, right? We should give people trust in the proportion that they can rightly steward our trust, right? This is the same thing when we talk about in romantic relationships, right? The, ten, the, the, the temptation is right when you get into it, you're like, oh, this person is perfect. I only see wonderful things about them, and now I'm going to share all of my secrets, give them all of my heart. I'm going to tell them I'm never going to leave them forever. We're going to be together forever, all this kind of stuff, not realizing that you've barely just begun to get to know this person, right? It's the same thing with leaders, Oftentimes, we can find charismatic leaders or people who have great wisdom in one area of their life, and we can give them so much trust that we start to idolize them. I want to lovingly warn you, this happens, and I want to, I want to, I want to warn you of that because the only one who deserves that much trust is Jesus, and this is going to keep us from this, the dangers that get involved with idolization. In fact, all earthly authority has limitations to that authority. Okay, this is an important dynamic. All earthly authority has limitations, meaning there's no person in your life that should have unlimited authority. The closest, by the way, is the husband and the wife. Praise him. Praise him. But even that relationship has boundaries. Even that relationship has limitations. Okay? What do I mean by this? I mean this. Your teacher at school has authority over the classroom, right? He or she could tell you you're not allowed to chew gum. If they deem that chewing gum is a distraction, they have the authority in the area to, to make people learn. Am I making sense? But if your teacher comes to you and says, I command you, you must date this other student in my class, right? Well, we all understand that's kind of an overreach of authority, right? That's like, what? But can I say that this happens all the time, especially with spiritual authority? This happens all the time, right? For those of us who are Asian, look, let's be real. This is a weakness in our culture, right? Because our culture heavily emphasizes the message of submission, 
what happens is a lot of times we don't know how to discern the limitations of our spiritual authority, right? But this is an important dynamic because guess what? If you submit to somebody who's stepping outside of their authority, you can absolutely be led into sin. Absolutely you can. There's some dangerous aspects. I want to give you some dangerous, you know, teachers. Like if I really wanted to make you guys do whatever I wanted, this is what I would teach. Okay? I would teach you that you must be underneath my spiritual covering. And if you are not underneath my spiritual covering, then you, my friend, are in rebellion and you are open to the attacks of the devil. In fact, you're in big trouble if you don't get my spiritual covering. And you know how you get that spiritual covering? You submit to me in all things. Like whatever I want, you got to do it. Right? That's what you got to do. But you have to be perfectly submitted to me. And if you're not submitted to me, you're in rebellion. You're out of covering. Right? You're out of order. Right? Why is this teaching dangerous? Because it is a recipe for spiritual abuse. Can I tell you if you're a Christian, can I tell you who's covering you're under? Jesus is covering. It's a pretty good covering. It's pretty awesome, right? Jesus is the head of the church, and you get to be under his covering. Guess what else you get? You get a Holy Spirit who's given to you as a guide to lead you into all truth. Guess what? Your you know, super pastor or teacher or whatever is not your personal Holy Spirit. Guess what? Super pastor does not know God's exhaustive will for your life. He doesn't know all the decisions that you make. Some of you guys come to me and you ask me to like, you know, should I, should I move to Africa? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Did God say something to you about that? I really don't know. You know what I mean? Like, some of you are like, should I date this person? I don't know. That's also, by the way, why I, I tend to give more freedom about, about you dating, right? My job as a spiritual leader, insofar as I see it, is to help you discern what God's saying to you. I'll do everything I can to tell you what he says through the scriptures and to help you hear what the Holy Spirit might be saying to your heart. And sometimes I do get a sense that that's probably not God that you're hearing. But look, I can't hear perfectly for you all the time. I remember I had one person who felt like God was telling them to leave. And I was like, okay. And he's like, would you pray for me about it? And I was like, okay, I'll pray for you about it. And I prayed. And when I prayed, I really felt like he was not supposed to go. That's what I felt. So I came to him and I said, bro, I prayed and I just feel like you're not supposed to leave. And I just submit that to you. It's your decision, right? But I don't feel like it's from the Lord. And so he, he didn't leave. And he stayed, and like two months later, he comes to me, right? He's like, hey, Pastor Dennis, I feel like I'm supposed to go. Like there's, an, like there's another opportunity that opened up, right? And I feel like I'm supposed to leave. Would you pray for me? I'm like, all right, man. <laughs> I go back. I really pray. I really pray for him. He asked me to. So I pray, and I, I feel like, again, I feel like God speaks to me. He says, he's not supposed to go. So I come back, and I go, I don't feel like you're supposed to go. And he goes, oh, all right, okay. And he comes back to me again a couple months later, right? And just being real, I was like, dude, look, if you feel like it's God, just go, man. <laughs> like, 
I, I can't, like, I can't be the one who's hearing God for your life, like your entire life. We can't do this every couple months, man. I already prayed for you. You know what I mean? I can't discern your, you know, maybe there are some leaders who can do that. It's possible. I'm not saying it's impossible. But what's my point? You have the Holy Spirit if you're in Christ. You have to learn to follow the Holy Spirit. And, I, and absolutely, I want to give you principles, and I want to try and give you wisdom. But at the end of the day, you're the one who has to make this decision, and you've got to be responsible. You have to take responsibility for the decisions that you make in your life. Right? Guess what? If I tell you, you should all get married by age 20. What if I told you that? And then you went, hmm, and you got married. And it was a train wreck. And you got divorced. Whose fault is it? Guess what? That's your fault. You made the decision, right? Now, would I be blameless in that situation? No. No, no, no. But you would still be responsible for the decision that you made. Am I making sense? Right? This is an important dynamic to understand because there are teachings like this out there. There was an entire movement called the shepherding movement where a lot of this covering theology stuff was taught. The, many of the leaders that started the shepherding movement repented of, of the way that movement went. Um, but the reality is a lot of those teachings are still out there. They're still floating around out there. And I, I want you to, to be able to recognize some of these signs because I guarantee you if you're if you're going to be a Christian your whole life, you're probably at some point going to run into some of these things. Let me give you another sign of this, this idea of covenanting to a community, right? First of all, I'm really careful about that terminology. You know what covenant means? Covenant means we cut open a bowl and we put one half on this side and one half on this side. We walk through it and we say, if we break this commitment, may it be unto me like this bull. That's biblical definition of a covenant, right? It's a pretty serious agreement. It's super binding, right? So let me ask you, will you covenant to burning tree ministry? <laughs> shouldn't you? If you really loved us, shouldn't you covenant yourself to us? Well, that sounds kind of convincing if, you know. Now, I, I, a lot of churches use that terminology, but they don't really mean that kind of commitment. You know what I mean? But there's absolutely ways that some church leaders will call for like a marriage type of commitment to their community, right? And I want to say that, that, that I don't think that that's healthy. I do think that there should be a commitment to a community, that we should be committed to finding good friends. We should not be easily, you know, we shouldn't be jumping from church to church and fellowship to fellowship or, or something like that, um, but leaders can absolutely use this type of terminology to make it appear that anybody who wants to leave is evil, right? That that's always wrong. I want you to recognize the way that we send people off, right? With, with Young Sub here, what do we do? We bless him, right? We want people who God is calling away, I want you to go. Get out of my church, right? If the Holy Spirit's leading you, I want you to go. I want you to go and do what God is calling you to do. Amen? Like that's, that should be the heart of every spiritual leader, but can I be a little bit honest? Sometimes 
it hurts a little bit. This is me being a little vulnerable as a pastor, right? Sometimes when people leave, it, we can take it as like a personal rejection or like, a, like I don't like your leadership and I don't like your church and we can be a little bit hurt about it and stuff like that. And if we act wrongly in that spirit, we can be a little bit controlling, right? We can go, well, is that really the Lord? I sense God's telling you to stay. And it's your sin that's making you leave, right? We could say something of that nature, right? And just to be honest, I've already shared before, sometimes it is not wise for you to go. And as a pastor, I always want to try and discern the will of the Lord. And if I feel something like that, it's absolutely my obligation to tell you, hey, I don't feel like this is wisdom, right? Guess what? You still have freedom to leave. I'm not going to handcuff you right to the chair, right, and feed you occasionally, right, to make you stay. I can't do that, right? I'm going to give you freedom, and I'm going to love you. and be committed to love you, but absolutely, if I feel like something off about it, I, it is my obligation as a leader to tell you that. Does that make sense, those differences? This is an important dynamic to understand because, like I said, there is a lot of controlling behavior in the church, okay? Children, obey your parents. Children only become rebellious when trust is broken, Right? Children become rebellious under abusive leadership when trust is broken. They realize that their parents are commanding them and directing them in their life, not for the child's benefit, but for the parent's own benefit. Okay? This absolutely happens. Guess what? I do this sometimes. Right? I'm like, Judah, go to the other room. Right? What? I'm not telling him because I think it will bless his life to go to the other room. Sometimes I just need some peace and quiet, right? I'm not bragging that that's a right thing I should be doing. I'm saying that no parent is perfect, and sometimes we do abuse our authority. It happens in every parent-child relationship. So what can I tell you about that? I say this. If you have been abused by your parents and by their authority, welcome to our club. It's called humanity. Okay? Welcome. I know it's heartbreaking. I know many people have, been, have severe wounds and hurts from their parents that make it difficult to trust other authorities in their lives. I get that. And I want to speak mercifully to you and tell you that God is not like your parents. Okay? God, when he commands us, it really is for our own good. He commands us out of his love. And he desires the best for us. And he deeply cares about us. He's not just, he's not, you know, the phantom of the opera. He's not, you will love me or else. That's not his heart. He really does love us and he wants what's best for our lives. That's his heart. But I also want to tell you this. You must be committed to forgiveness towards your parents. This is not a small thing. I honestly think that this should be something that if you're living with your parents, you should be committed to forgiving them pretty much every single day. Because guess what? Probably every single day they're going to do something wrong. That's how it works, right? The reality is no authority is perfect, and you must forge a devotion to forgiveness. And I'll tell you what it will do. It will make you mature. It will make you mature. Guess how you get really mature in the kingdom? You get around bad people, and you forgive them to death. Right? I always joke, man, being friends with Pastor James, right? Such a blessing in my life. <laughs> Such a blessing. Right? He comes up to me and he, he accuses me of things all the time. 
I go, thank you, Jesus. James, I forgive you. I love you so much, man. You're my homie, dude. He, he goes, why are you doing that? You know, he gets that, what are you doing right now? Right? Right? I'm like, James, you're my homie, dude. Love you so much, right? What's happening? I'm getting all these heavenly rewards, right? God's <laughs> using him. God has placed him in my life to forge great character. I say this joking. James is not that bad. He, you know, we, we joke about this. Right? But this, but this is the reality. Sometimes, you know, we've, you know, oftentimes we're looking for the best friends and the best leaders and the best people around us. And I totally understand the heart of that, right? That's a good desire. But sometimes God puts us in positions where we're not surrounded by the best. And guess what? Because that could be the best thing to happen for you in this season of your life. I'm saying if your character can handle it, it's actually best to be in a situation where you're surrounded by people you have to forgive all the time. It makes you really mature. This is one of the glories of family, right? Family, you can't get rid of them, right? You can't just run away. You're stuck with them. And I want to I encourage you to embrace the challenges of committed relationship. Why? Because it's God's design to forge your character. And I mean that seriously. How did God train the greatest leaders of the Old Testament? He put them with really bad people around them, right? How did he forge David, the greatest king in Israel's history? Well, he made him learn to love Saul. I always get challenged by David because David wasn't just like, all right, fine, Saul, I'll obey, right? Saul's literally trying to kill him, right? And he's saying, we, will, we dare not touch the Lord's anointed, right? He comes out to Saul right after he could have killed him, but he didn't. And he said, Saul, my father, my father, what have I done? Right? The spirit of submission is oozing out of David, right? Because he's learning. He's learning. What's he learning? He's learning how to handle and steward authority correctly. It's so important. Let me put it to you another way. It is impossible for you to rightly steward authority apart from being abused by authority and undergoing it in the right manner. It's impossible to handle high levels of, of authority apart from this dynamic. If you don't undergo this training process, in a big picture, you'll either end up on one or two sides. You'll end up proud. This happens to a lot of people. And you dominate people underneath your authority. I see a lot of leaders. Why? Because they never learn to appreciate their leaders. They never learn to love them in their weaknesses. They never learn to forgive them when they sinned against them and to continue to honor them. When you don't learn that, you don't get the humility that's required to be able to steward your authority correctly. And then what happens? You get in a position of authority and you, you're full of judgment. You're full of judgment for the people that you have authority over. And do you know what happens then? You're abusing them. You're harming them. You're wounding them. You're called to build them up. That's how godly authority works. The authority isn't given to you to lord over others. The authority is given to you so that you can serve them. But when you don't undergo the training process, you can't help but abuse your authority. You become proud. You become proud in your authority. You think you deserve it. 
You think all the people who don't have the authority, same authority to you, it's because they're not as good as you. They're not as mature. They're not as gifted. All this kind of garbage. Or you end up on the other side. You don't know how to be firm with your authority. You're always questioning yourself. Should I do this? Should I do that? And guess what that does? It makes you open to control. And other people will use your authority because you don't know how to stand firm in it. People will manipulate you. They'll flatter you. They'll threaten you. They'll accuse you. And you'll be open to it, right? You'll be like, and you'll be so full of confusion and doubt as to what to do, right? You blame yourself for all of your followers' problems. On this side, your view is they're all so immature. All these foolish people that God has given me, right? They're all such idiots, right? Spiritual idiots, all of them, right? This is the, pro- this is the proud leader, right? On the other side, what do you have? You have this understanding that you're partly responsible for all of their faults. But you feel like it's all your fault, right? Every weakness that somebody has is your fault, right? You don't know how to separate it. You don't know how to say, that's not my responsibility, that that problem that that person has. You take responsibility for all of it. It's all your fault, and you're constantly beset by a spirit of accusation. Am I making sense? Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. This is part of our original divine mandate. We're called to rule in the age to come. All of us. This is important for all of us, right? We must let God fashion us into people who can steward authority rightly. And I'll tell you where it starts. It starts with the leaders that you have right now. Learning to cultivate gratitude and a spirit of submission. It does not mean that you have to do everything that they want you to do. We talked about that. They command you outside their authority. You're not obligated to do that. But the spirit of it is totally different, right? The spirit of it is totally different. I can tell you as a leader, you can sense when somebody has a spirit of submission and when they have a spirit of rebelliousness, right? When they resent your authority, they don't want you to tell them what to do. They don't want your input. And the problem there is that you know what happens? Then you lose out on all the benefits that you can only get through submission, You're not supposed to have to learn the hard way on every single area of wisdom in your life. That way sucks. The way where you don't know what to do, so you're constantly making mistakes and constantly opening up your heart to major pains and hurts. No, you're supposed to have leaders in your life who who help give you wisdom and help give you guidance, and you trust them. And you know what happens? You learn the easy way. I tell you, That is so much better to learn that way. The easy way is better than the hard way. Lastly, I want to talk about this dynamic of slaves obeying masters because this is is really important, especially for some of the issues that are going on in in our culture right now. We talked about it as we're to, slaves are commanded to obey their masters just as they would obey Jesus, as if Jesus was their master. This is not saying that only the masters that are good and righteous. Peter talks about this explicitly. He says, even when your master beats you unjustly, even when he treats you harshly, even still, you're, you're to have a spirit of submission towards your master. And that sounds kind of crazy by our modern standards. That sounds kind of like, what? You're, are you telling me, Dennis, that the Bible 
teaches the type of slavery that was abolished and outlawed in America? And the answer to that is an absolute no. Okay, the Bible does not condone slavery like we saw in in America and also in Egypt when Egypt was enslaving Israel. No, it clearly points out how evil this is. Okay, understand this. Slavery was prevalent. It was ubiquitous. It was everywhere in the ancient world. In the ancient world, slavery was an integral part of the culture because it was the way that you repay debts. When you had a major debt that you could not repay, often in many cultures, you went into slavery. We would understand this better as becoming a servant. You become a servant of that household and repay your debt. It was unlike American slavery. American slavery was chattel slavery. We treated black people as though they were not human or as as though they were subhuman, and they were in slavery in perpetuity. They could never get their freedom, right? Their children would be slaves, and their children would be slaves. It is a black mark on the church, especially in the South, that we could not discern the evil of this system and put an end to it apart from a civil war. So understand this. I am not saying the Bible condones that aspect of slavery. But the point of the Bible is this, that our fortunes in this life are secondary. This is so important that we get this church. Our fortunes in this life are secondary. The entire point of the Bible, if you want to sum the whole thing up, it's that there is going to be a judgment at the end of the age. God is going to judge every single person. Not one person will escape this final judgment. In that judgment, God will right every single wrong. He will fix every injustice. He will repair the world that is now broken. All of our hopes as believers are fixed on the age to come. Your glorious destiny is not for this life. Look. We give in to the Spirit all the time in our American culture. We dream of, what's, what's your call? What's the calling of your life? My calling is I'm going to be famous and rich. You know, and we can spiritualize that. You know, I'm going to be a pastor and have a big church and all this kind of garbage. Look, can I tell you what your calling in this life is? Your calling is to die to yourself and your pitiful little calling. You die to that dumb calling. Scripture says the greatest in the age to come is who? The servant of all in this age. And we go, oh, that must have been figurative. Right? I mean, you got to act like a servant, but you could still be, you know, like powerful and all this kind of stuff. No! No, it, it means you got to be a servant. It means whatever authority you're given, you don't use it for your own benefit. Whatever authority that you're given, you use it to live your life in service for other people. That's the heart of this. And brothers and sisters, it is the biggest temptation. Look, I went through this temptation, right? My roommate in college went to Harvard grad school. I had another, I had another close friend of mine that started a global. This five Fortune 500 company started making tons of money right out of school, and I was selling cell phones because I thought that God was telling me to be a missionary, and yet He said, "Don't go to the mission field." And I was so confused. I was like, oh, what do I do? And I looked around at all of my friends, 
And they're all so successful. And I'm like, God, I'm not successful. What do I do? Right? And you know what the Lord told me? He pointed me that, to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or the clothes that you're going to wear. Instead, sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Right? What do you do? You come in the opposite spirit. This is what I preach to people. The problem is not that you don't have enough prestige, you don't have enough success, you don't have enough money or possessions. Hear me, church. The problem is that you're far too wealthy. You have way too much prestige. You have way too much success. You have too good of a reputation in the eyes of those around you. You think that those things are valuable, but they're holding you back from being the servant of all. Of having your life poured out for the things of the kingdom. Those are the things that are holding you back. Here is my suggestion to you. Give it all away, right? If you're like, no, I must have more money. No, realize you have too much money. Give a bunch of it away, right? Oh, I'm not popular enough on Facebook or Instagram. No, you're too popular, right? Give it away. Say something really unpopular for the kingdom, right? Give away the things that are holding you to focus and fixate on this world. And then you know what you're going to have? You're going to have freedom. You're going to discover that life is not about how many possessions or how many people like you, but life is on the inside. Life is given by the God who made you, and he gives it in abundant life. Life has a name, and it's Jesus, and he wants to be intimate with you, but all of our worldly possessions are so in the way of the intimacy that he wants for us. Brothers and sisters, let's follow Jesus to the cross. Even when the cross means to submit to people who don't deserve our submission. Even when it means to serve those who don't appreciate our service. I tell you, God's promise is that if we trust him, that he will glorify us in the end. And that in the meantime, we can have the greatest blessing in all the world, which is intimacy with him. Amen. Worship team, could you come up?